Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Davis, of course, and this is episode 10 of season 2. Now, for those that notice such things, I've had a bit of a week off the podcast to catch up with some Christmas shopping, putting up the tree, wrapping presents, and, of course, the most important festive tradition, putting a ring around all the programmes you want to watch in the Christmas radio times. This week, we're talking retail. What lessons can KBB retailers learn from the collapse of Debenhams and the Arcadia Group in terms of giving their customers unforgettable experiences? Building relationships with clients is the backbone of this sector, but that is a trend that is now spreading across the whole of high street retail. How have the lockdowns affected that, and what do KBB retailers need to do to take advantage? We've got an absolutely fascinating conversation with retail experience expert Tim Nash from Agency Wild VC. But first... Shameless, tailless media plug time. And once again, I want you to subscribe to this very podcast, sorry, award-winning podcast, using a podcast app such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Subscribing means you can access all the previous episodes and new ones will miraculously appear too. Simply search KBB Review, or one word, and you'll find us. Now, we may still be in the middle of some short-term problems, but the long-term implications of how the lockdown experience has or will change retail as a sector is absolutely fascinating. Will it accelerate or decelerate existing trends, or will it kick off whole new trends from scratch? So I am delighted to welcome down the line, hopefully, Tim Nash, who is, well, he's an expert in building retail experiences. Hello, Tim. Hi, Andy. Thanks for uh, asking me to join. Well, that's, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sparing us a bit of time. Now, where in the country are you? Well, I'm in sunny Matlock. Well, kind of on the outskirts of Matlock, right in the middle of the Derbyshire Dales. So, um, as you can tell, I'm not from Derbyshire. I don't have a Derbyshire accent. I sort of emigrated from London a good sort of five years ago. So, um, yeah, I sort of climbed my trade in the Midlands and before lockdown used to do it all over the UK. I don't blame you for that. That is an absolutely beautiful part of the world. I've got friends up there and it is it is beautiful. Correct me if I'm wrong, though, but you're also in tier three at the moment. I'm quite confused as to what I can and can't do at the minute. <laughs> I don't think I'm doing anything different today than I was yesterday. I know, but it just feels different. That's the thing. Well, well, look, whenever I have experts on here, Tim, I always make their intro deliberately vague because I always think it's better for you to describe exactly what it is you do rather than me second guess it. Can you fill us in on what your day job is? Yeah, it's... It's so there, it's so difficult and family and, and friends ask exactly what I do and it's so difficult to, to kind of pinpoint what I do and what we do at Wild. But really, the whole point is to bring brands to life. So whether you're a global brand or an independent, it's, we go sort of from the sublime to the ridiculous, really, from small independent high street, we do a, a wall shop in Surrey to working with big global brands on massive rollout campaigns for new products and product launches so it's about activating brand really and and bringing that personality to the forefront so that it connects with the consumer and it really enhances that connection that personal connection between the brand and their customer yes and it's fascinating what you do because you are dealing with retail environments but it's also sometimes it can be the pop-up type retail environments. It can be the long-term retail environments. It can be specific events. I mean, it's literally about the interface between the retailer and the consumer. That's basically where you operate in that little Venn diagram there. Yeah, so anywhere you will touch the brand. And it doesn't necessarily have to involve product. Sometimes it may involve product and something else. 
it might be a, a launch of a we you know we do kit launches we do fashion launches we do catwalk campaign it's it's literally anything where a brand will interface with a personal connection but in a physical world where it's anything to do with that physical connection really I mean, let's look at some of these brands that you've worked with here. I mean, you've got London Fashion Week, you've got Harvey Nichols, you've got Cartier, Prada. I mean, you've got some big premium high-end brands there, as well as some more high street brands like Nike and Adidas, even though they do lots of very big retail experience things too. So there's a very wide pedigree there in top-end luxury retail, which is obviously where the kitchen and bathroom market operates that we're talking about here today. Let's start with an obvious question here. What is your current assessment of the effect that the lockdowns have had on those well-crafted retail experiences that you've worked so hard on? Well, I think at the beginning of the lockdown, everything just was suppressed. Everything disappeared and we went back into our homes and I think all of us did it. We all got out of the paintings and we didn't know what to do for a while. But it's been a really interesting, I don't know if we can, if you can use the word interesting, but alongside all the terrible things that have gone on, it's been a great time for brands and consumers and everyone to reassess I think we've been so busy just shopping and just doing what we were doing we've been living a sort of way of life for a long period of time and and really focusing on not actually what makes us tick and what really is our intrinsic thought processes in in how we we communicate with each other and connect with things and and what we've done is we've reassessed our our values and what brands have needed to do and the ones that have been really successful in this period and will be successful going forward are the ones that have really taken the time to look at their values and look at how they engage with those consumers and refocus their communication and their their tone of voice to make sure that it's really connected with those consumers and the future of retail specifically will be in those personal brand connections. You know, we're seeing the fallout of that this week in retail with, with the likes of Arcadia and Debenhams. And you can see why that's happening. They they lost that connection. The ones that have, that have done successfully, the Nikes of this world, the Adidas's of this world, have maintained really down to a real community-led level that focus on on, a de- on, a, on their demographic, on their customer, on their what the problems are that they're facing. A big part of your job is about creating experiences. Now, before the lockdowns, before the coronavirus, experiences became a very destination-led, touchy-feely process in some of these bigger retailers and bigger brands. But, of course, what constitutes a good experience for the consumer now is completely different. It's all about safety, cleanliness getting in and out, getting to what you want as soon as you can so you don't have to dwell in there for too long. How does that affect what some of these brands do to approach that demographic? I I hope that's a short-term problem. And what's interesting with that, and I think with brands specifically, is the consumers become so much more educated, so much more savvy in doing their research. We're connected 24-7. I think working from home and all those, we're so much more in tune with I reference my daughter a lot, but she knows about all the products, where to buy them from, what she's looking for, and where to get them from before we even leave the house. So I think it's about capturing that knowledge and window shopping and kind of the browsing and 
all those things are not what we're doing. You know, it, like you say, if you go to gain an experience, it's because you're looking for an additional something over and above what you can do at home. So I've been looking for a coat for ages and I found so many coats on online, put them in my basket. But the challenge with that was I could see what it looked like. I could see how it kind of fitted on the model. It's a really strange thing, but I couldn't get this personal connection to the to the coat. I couldn't feel how warm it was. I couldn't put it on. I couldn't check out how big the pockets That's really silly things like that. I knew five or six coats that I wanted to, to try. And that's kind of what I did when I went out shopping. And that's, I think, for retailers and brands to really play up. And especially at the moment where we're looking for those enhanced experience. And until we're fully out of this, and I, again, I don't know if we ever will be completely back to where we were, but the days of those experiential where it's yeah interacting with technology and, and all those spaces, I think it's going to be less about that. It's going to have to be le- it's less showy and it's more about the real tactile pieces. And, and even down to the, con- like the customer advisors in the stores, their part to play in the future of retails is massive because they are the tone of voice for those environments. As consumers, we'll be looking for that personal connection with our retail environment. What you're saying here, Tim, I think is music to the ears of anyone who operates an independent showroom, because this is what they do anyway. What you're describing here is big retail brands trying desperately to get local. Yeah, and the dream scenario, and and it's starting to happen, and I think the the next, I I don't know for how long, 12 months are going to be rocky. I think we can see that from the challenges on the high street, but the future lies and I'm really passionate about it, in our local high streets, creating local experiences for the community that they serve. Because we've moved out of the cities from our offices, I think we'll go back to that. Uh, We'll have to. But what we've gained in 2020 is this connection back to our local community. I've got a greengrocer's around the corner that I never went to until I started working from home all the time. And there's a butcher's there. uh, There's a coffee shop that I go to instead of going to prep. And they're all independents. But there's massive work for local councils and high streets to do in invigorating that. There's some fantastic independent businesses. And the people who work in there are so passionate about their businesses, their products. But that's not to say, though, Tim, is it, that the mistakes that the retailers that are failing on the big retailers that are failing can't also be happening in small showrooms, too. Those local retailers have to be pretty forward thinking in giving people the experience that they want. Let's look... Uh, as I'm sure you've been asked a lot this week, but let's look at the most obvious example with Arcadia and Debenhams. Big, big brands, been around for a very, very long time, especially Debenhams. What lessons can we learn for high street retailers from where those big retailers have gone wrong in terms of that experience? I have this affection for Arcadia because I, I spent four years at Topshop, Topman. They were great times, like the glory years of, of growing a business from a UK thing to an international business. And I'm a great fan for their opening stores in the US. And you sort of look at that to where they are now 10 years later. And the challenge is that the market changed, consumers changed, shopping habits changed, but they didn't change. And, and the same with Debenhams, I think they didn't tap into, there's been so many words for it, like econ, bricks and mortar, omni-channel. And Actually, all of that's gone now, that whole separate shopping experience. What Arcadia and, and Debenhams especially lost was that the physical store, their sort of social and all of their online shopping 
it didn't have this seamless operation. Everything was treated slightly individually. And you just have to look at what I'd call a, a brand who would do it like a Nike, where everything is integral to each other. Traditional businesses and like Arcadia and, and Debenhams that have been set up as a physical shop and then had these other bits bolted on. The challenge is there. And, and having worked in those businesses, there's this internal structure problem where the physical store has a set number of KPIs. The online business has a set number of KPIs and a, and a different team that manages it or an external agency that manage it. And trying to connect all those parts of the business to make one seamless operation is is a challenge. And, and unless you can overcome that and rethink the physical store as an extension of your business rather than uh, an additional part of your business, then I think you're always going to face challenges. Like Next is a fantastic example. I think people don't probably give Next enough credit against what's happening on the high street. There's a lot of discussion around how bad the high street is. But Next year on year continues to grow, doesn't close stores, continues to open stores. And it's a seamless operation. You, They have an online business. They have a catalogue. Like how old fashioned is that? They have a catalogue business that works alongside the rest of their business. But the whole experience is seamless. And I think that's one part. The other part is... They kind of didn't tap into their demographic and their consumer and their consumer needs. And that's so important, I think. Ultimately, they lost that connection with their consumer. And the same with Debenhams. I think they lost sight of what consumer they had anyway. I haven't been into a Debenhams for ages. And when I did, I just went to use the public toilets because (laughs) (laughs) it's horrible to say, but I don't don't know what they provided that you couldn't get anywhere else. So what you're saying here, I think, Tim, is the understanding of every aspect of the business and to ensure as the business owner, as obviously a lot of the people who run these smaller studios and showrooms are, to ensure that they are in touch with every single aspect and making sure that every single aspect fits in with what the ultimate definition of that business is. Yeah, I think you've got to put yourself in your customer's eyes and think, what does your customer need? And there's been so many things where people go, we need digital, we need this, or we should put iPads into our showrooms or spaces. We should put digital screens. Actually, no, why? What does my customer need? Don't think about what I think I should need or I need to be digital savvy. Or What does my customer need to improve their experience and ultimately turn them from a potential customer or a, or a browser into one, someone who's purchasing them, but also it's about maintaining a long relationship. What you want to do is build that relationship and then maintain it. And I think the physical space provides that personal connection. The digital space maintains a constant dialogue. And then alongside things like click and collect or arranging appointments, so that actually you're fitting in with someone's lifestyle, you're providing a solution to someone's challenge. That's where I think the future of the retail space, they all have to work together. And unless they they work together, it becomes really clunky. If you want something straight away, you go to Amazon. What retailers, especially independents, have to embrace is they can't take on Amazon through speed and price probably. And like you can order it here and have it tomorrow morning. But what they can take on Amazon with is that intrinsic connection with the consumer i don't think anyone loves amazon i love going to my local coffee shop 
Yeah, and I suppose you are buying the experience. You're not just buying the product, particularly if it's a new kitchen or a new bathroom, a room in your home that you will live with for 10, 15, 20 years. People will pay that little bit extra if they feel that they're going to get the end result that they want in as seamless and a painless way as possible. Yeah, it's also, I think, there's a trust, there's a building a connection with the person. And it, it goes back to all those things that you can touch it, you can feel it, you can understand the craftsmanship of it. I went to a factory, a shoe factory in Northampton, a traditional English shoe factory. And I went on a tour because I really wanted to understand as, as we were promoting these shoes, the work that the craftsmanship and the love and the cups of tea that the machinists had and all those chats, even down to the guy who had been there, I think, 50 years, and he was his role was to stuff them and put them into a box and, and buff them. And all that love, care and emotion went into those pair of shoes, and they weren't cheap. But understanding all that really gave a value to that product over something that gets chucked into a, a plastic bag and is delivered by the DPD driver. It's you can only get that through a, a personal interaction. A lot of the time you're dealing with brands with big budgets, big ideas, big creatives, big agencies. But if I was a comparatively small independent retailer on a high street looking to offer the kind of experience that you're talking about here or enhance what I already do, what advice can you give me if I haven't got wads full of money? We have this all the time about money. It's really interesting. Some of the biggest brands spend the least amount of money on it. I think it's about being clever with the money that you've got. Think of your consumer. Think of your end user. Think of your demographic. Think of what will inspire them or enhance their experience. It doesn't have to be fancy technology. It doesn't have to be augmented reality, virtual reality. These things are actually, I think we're moving away from all those. There was a moment where everyone felt like they had to put digital in. Now it's all about tactile And it's a challenge at the moment because of the touch. But we're looking so much more for that personal connection. So I think that the first thing I would say to anyone is focus on your employees or your customer facing people. That's over and above anything you can do online. You can't have that conversation with someone who knows all those intrinsic details of the product, the the key benefits, all those things. The people who sell the the products are going to be championed even more, I believe, because alongside a load of experiential pieces will be in their connection with the customer. I think it shows that that connection with your customer is key. And and obviously that doesn't cost anything. And the other thing is, if you've got a window display or a space in in the showroom, is to create something that's a bit out of the norm. We're a bit bored. We're, We're craving something. And to just think of a space slightly differently. It could be anything, but it's about making people stop. And I think especially if you're on a a local high street and it's engaging with footfall, especially now if we're all shopping locally and and kind of interacting a bit more in these spaces and people are are walking around and and wanting a bit of outdoor and, and all those kind of things. But do something that will capture someone's attention and makes them interested in what you're you're offering. Is this the kind of uh, mindset that you see coming out of those big premium, very luxury brands like Harvey Nichols or Cartier or Prada or some of these other guys? Is, is Are they the ones that get this right because they build it up from this as opposed to beginning with a product or, or a wide scope of a market and trying to attract everybody? They're so particular about who they're going for that they understand everything you're talking about here just intrinsically. Yeah, 
I think so. I think what is is changed massive. I think even in the last nine, you know, nine months is we were so quick to have a product or a new product launch. We were so fast to take it to market. We were so fast just to get it out to the consumer, get it advertised, get it into shop windows. I, I, I don't think we took the time. I think what's been fascinating and is that there's been time to kind of reset the thinking and actually think through how to deliver these things and actually how people want things to be delivered to them. You can see it happening with the big brands and China has embraced it massively. You know, I love a pop-up. I talk about pop-ups a lot and pop-up experiences and pop-up shops and China have just, Asia especially, have blown those out of the water and, and brands are nailing that over there. And I think we've got so much to learn from that in how we bring brands to life through time limited. I think that's the other thing is focusing on things that make you visit. There's so much competition. And actually, we have got used to not having to do anything for a while. And we found other things to fill our time. And I think that's where it goes back to we used to go out shopping as a as a something to fill our time. And I think we've now realized that actually there's probably more important things that we like to do or would like to do. And, and that's enhanced the experiential piece even more because if we go out shopping or anything like that, then we want it to provide something rather than just ticking off a list of things that we need to do. And I think a, a pop-up does that or anything that's that has a, I call them a mo- like a moment, but anything that provides a moment. So that gets you off the sofa to a specific place at a specific point because if you don't go there that weekend and you're in tune with that brand like you love that brand you love anything that or you love those products or then you'll miss out and it's I think for a younger generation that uh, that sort of fear of missing out that will drive them to a base at a certain time yeah so what you're saying here is that I think yes you've got your everyday experience if you like if your showroom your studio whatever it is but then have a think about one-off experiences that highlight a particular thing or a particular product or a particular moment of sale or whatever it might be that, you know, that can be time limited and make a real impact. Yeah. And I think do something focused on your consumer or community focused collaborations as well. So something that engages the local community. So whether you can, I don't know, a custom space where you invite in a local artist to do something, it connects with the community it connects with an audience. It might connect you with someone who doesn't even know anything about your brand or your products, but they found about it through being interested in his artist. An artist could come in and customise some part of the showroom for a weekend. It creates a buzz. It creates something unique. Yeah, you can't get that anywhere else. If you're interested in that and that only happened in one pop-up at one space at one time, if you wanted to get that product or photograph yourself in front of it, or have an Instagram with the person, or whatever it is, you have to revisit that store, you know. It's all so interesting, Tim, isn't it? And I think we could talk about this for, for hours, because I do love all this kind of stuff. I think what we'll, we'll have to round it up, because the time's beating us a bit here, but what we can do maybe is next time we talk, we can look at some actual case studies of work that you've done, and, and look in depth at, at how you've achieved what it is that those retailers wanted to achieve with it, because some of the stuff you've done is absolutely stunning. There are so many lessons to learn, even for the smallest business i did a talk uh, a few weeks ago to, uh, to a number of independent fashion businesses and what i say to them is is just think outside that traditional retail box we're so used to a, a retail environment being a white box that we fill full of product we open the doors and we expect people to come 
and the model has changed massively and it's about making the physical an experience but again it doesn't have to be an experience that costs ridiculous amounts of money it's just about thinking slightly differently and from your customer's eyes and what you, what's going to make your customer leave their house or do something outside of what they would otherwise be doing speaking of experiences I think there was one question that we all need to get the answer to here from from an expert such as yourself, is that when you've had a terrible day at work and nothing's happened the way you want it to and you get home and you flop in front of the TV, Tim Nash, expert, (laughs) what is your entry into the silence of the laminates? What is your most positive feel-good movie? I'm, I'm too obvious, but I'm torn and they're both as bad or as as camp probably as each other. I'm a big fan of like a a musical. I kind of I've always loved Moulin Rouge. <laughs> so it's not cool at all to, to admit to that. And Greatest Showman. So either or really, but I think a bit of light-hearted musical movie. Well, The Greatest Showman is very popular for you and thirteen-year-old girls. So that's that's absolutely fine. You you're allowed to have that one. <laughs> Yeah, I love look. I love Hugh Jackman. He can sing, he can dance. He's got claws for hands. I mean, what more do you want? That's it. That's it. Tim, thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. I really do appreciate it. You've really got such an insight into this stuff. Uh, and like I say, it would be great to come back to you in the future and maybe talk a bit more in depth about some of this stuff. And I think that the market we talk about here is so defined by experience because it yeah. is. You do form this long term relationship with the with the customers and with the clients. So experience really does sum up what this side of the market is all about. So look, thank you so much, and we'll speak again soon. Lovely, thank you. Huge thanks to Tim Nash for some real insight there. So much of that is about confirming that independent KBB retailers are already doing the right thing. But there's so much you can do to keep ahead of big brands desperate to have the kind of connection that you do. Remember to subscribe to us by searching KBB Review, or one word, in your podcast app of choice. And also remember that entries are open for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2021. We've got categories for retailers, designers and suppliers, and it's totally free to enter. Go to kbbreview.com forward slash awards to find out more. See you next time.